You are listening to Query on Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLY 93.5 FM in Nelson. Tonight we're starting off with a song by a queer Filipinx artist who's based in Vancouver. They are called Kim Mortal, and this is one of my favorite songs right now. It's called Sad Femme Club. Dear goddess, give me patience, tired of trying to explain. I've got zero tolerance when they fuck with my sacred space. Bar the trolls, hit the corners for escape. That was Kim Mortal, Sad Femme Club. You're listening to Query. It's the queerest hour on Kootenai Co-op Radio. With Axel, Bria, and Shaz. That's us. We're here every week, Sundays at 10 p.m. on Kootenai Co-op Radio to talk all about what it is to be queer. In the Kootenays. Mm -hmm. So what do we do next? Oh, yes. Our land acknowledgments. So here's a question for you. Why do we do land acknowledgments? Well, I think it's important because we are living on stolen land. We are mm-hmm. living in occupied territory that has been uh, taken forcefully from indigenous peoples. And acknowledging that is one small piece of saying, okay, we're not going to pretend this isn't happened or that, that yeah. this isn't happening because colonization is an ongoing process that is continuing and impacts how indigenous people are treated in communities to this day. So a land acknowledgement is just something that we can do to call out that here we are on this land. And I think it's also important because it's um, it's a history that's constantly being erased. And, and by giving land acknowledgments, it's, it kind of erases that erasing of those land – of the fact that there is a history that, that we don't speak about. And so when we do our land acknowledgments, we want to kind of hold that space for all of the histories of the people that are oppressed in the land that we share. And also give thanks because this land is here in this like glorious condition because people have protected it and cared for it and been in relationship with it. And there's other places in the world, uh, such as like where my ancestors come from in England and that land has been colonized as well. It was just colonized a long time ago and it's been deforested. A lot of the animals that used to live there, no longer live there because they've been hunted to extinction. And that's a part of my history and a part of why I want to, yeah, acknowledge, acknowledge the, that that process is also happening here and that I don't want that to happen. And it also, and I think it also acknowledges the voices that aren't in this room right now because we do have hold very specific understandings of the world. So by acknowledging that there are voices that we would like to uh, represent or right to hold space for as well. And also like preserving the language too, just mm-hmm. by using it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do want to acknowledge that we're broadcasting this radio show from and on Sinaiaxed territory, which the word for territory or land in the Sinaiaxed language is Tumhulau. Tumhulau. Mm-hmm. So people will often say "haha tumhulau," which means sacred land or sacred territory. Can we practice that all together? Yeah. One more time. "Haha tumhulau." "Haha tumhulau." Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, wanting to give gratitude for the Sinaiq's people and their presence on this land now and since time immemorial and the way that they've protected and been in relationship with this land so that we could be be here having a relationship and growing and learning from each other as we do this work. Ha tamhulao. Yeah, so that reminds me a little bit of the territory acknowledgement that I did at the Women's Center annual <sighs> general meeting oh, this past yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, that was a big meeting. Bria, you were there too. Yeah, Axel, you did a really good job. Nice. I, uh, I, I arrived late, but it was packed. It was so packed in there. There was only standing room only. So I got a little anxious and left. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I feel like it's probably one of the best annual general meetings attended in town. I don't know that people are showing up by the like hundred there was over a hundred people in the room. Like there was at least a hundred chairs set up and then there was people standing. It was at the Adventure Hotel, um which was a great venue apart from that they didn't have wheelchair accessible washrooms for future planning. Oh, yeah. Um but they were also very accommodating of us, which was nice. So thanks to them for hosting that that meeting nice yeah being in crowded spaces like that can be so overwhelming so i was like really impressed that um you were just able to speak so clearly and so like well done wow uh with your land acknowledgement how did you tie it into the women's center i just talked about how the Sinaiq's people are matriarchal people and so having a women's center on this territory, I feel it's important to acknowledge that matriarchal roots of the land and the culture and that the laws of the Sinaiq's, one of them is Smamim, uh, which means everything belongs to the women. And my kind of learning about that from Sinaiq's matriarch, Marilyn James, is that the women are ultimately responsible for the land and the water and the people and and responsible for, you know, taking care of those things. And so having a women's center in Nelson with a decolonial framework or thinking about how we can be upholding indigenous ways of being and thinking means a women's center is a powerful space and it's a space for everyone in a way because women are responsible for everyone according to the laws of this land. Mm, wow. Nice. How did the um how did the meeting go? Tell us about it. Both of you were there. I thought it went really well. It went better than I expected. Uh last year's AGM I wasn't in attendance, but mm-hmm. it there was a serious breakdown of communication and a lot of just poor behavior, I think. Um, yeah, and people feeling like they needed to use tactics to be heard that were disrespectful and uh, not, yeah, just not standing in, in their truth and power, but kind of using, like, yelling and heckling and all sorts of things in order to be heard, which I was worried was going to happen at the meeting tonight. I was like talking to my sisters before the meeting and I was like, do you think that people are going to heckle me? Like are people when I'm giving my opening speech going to like yell at me or like try to like correct me because I heard that had happened last year. Oh wow! And so I was a little bit worried uh, and was seeking advice on, okay, what do I do if people are 
like yelling when I'm trying to talk into a microphone. Like, do I just keep talking? Like, do I acknowledge it? It's one of those things. Like, I've done a little bit of facilitation with teenagers, and, <laughs> and it happens. There's lots oh, of yeah. strategies that teachers have to use, uh, but ultimately that didn't happen. So I was happy. Speaking of which, I think that woman that uh, was mediating. Who was that? Allison Sayers. She was so good. She just like knew exactly when to shut it down. Like if somebody was just like overstepping or talking, saying the same thing more than yeah. three times. Mm-hmm. And it was the meeting was conducted using Robert's rules of order, which is perfect. Yeah, a very uh, Re- it's the regimented. parliamentary procedure that is used by most governments, and so. It has a lot of rules. I mean, it's the rules of order from Robert. Um, and it was really fascinating, actually, to see how that all played out and to see people using those rules to make amendments and motions and uh, yeah, state their points. Yeah, totally. And Allison did a really good job of just holding everyone and making sure that people had a way to speak if they wanted to. Here's a question for you, Bria. What was what was some of the main takeaways that you that you kind of remember from that from the AGM so maybe like questions that were brought up or like statements people had um i i found it kind of interesting that um you know you're you're in a room full of um folks and you kind of have the impression that everyone sees um, the world or issues in the same way that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being in that space, I realized that not everybody is like coming from the same place and not, not everybody has the same experience. And um, yeah, it's just kind of frustrating um, not hearing inclusive language there. Um, I think that, um, you know, like all women have a different experience and it's like, very limiting to um, reduce women to, like, their genitalia, basically. Uh. Um, yeah, so I found that really frustrating. And I and, and when um, that kind of thing happens, like, you can feel the room, like, tighten. And you can feel the room, like, the stress of all the people around you. It's, like, palpable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was some specific language that came up around people using the phrase women born women. And one of the candidates who was actually elected to the board, uh, Avery, wrote some very insightful words on Facebook that I got to read. And she said it was okay for me to share some of that. And I'm not going to quote directly, but uh, it was mostly she was she was looking at feminist theory and a specific feminist named Simone de Beauvoir, mm-hmm. who wrote uh, about how women are not born, they are made, and that the process of being a woman is kind of a a social, cultural, and personal process wherein people are assigned a gender, um, and I might not be speaking directly to Simone de Beauvoir, but just this idea of gender being a process and that no one is actually born a woman, like we're born babies, and then society happens and family happens and culture happens and we are impacted by those things and our identities shift and react based on kind of things that we're told about who we are. And yeah, it was also really powerful for me to see people using the colonial parliamentary 
procedure to shut that language down because oh, it really? did get shut down. Um, and people, you know, brought up how the using that language actually just actively discriminates against trans women. And mm-hmm. that's illegal under our human rights code as of 2017 in this country that you can't discriminate against people based on their gender identity or gender expression. So in a way, it was really powerful to see that happen in public and to see someone come up as well and respond to that and say, actually, you can't say that here. Like, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was nice. I noticed that um, there was a, a form circulating that kind of showed people how to use um, that vocabulary. Just, um, yeah, I was pretty unfamiliar, so it was helpful. Oh, neat. I was reading, I was doing a little bit of reading myself too, and this word keeps on, this acronym keeps on popping up that I um, that I wanted to talk about, and I had to look it up to see kind of what it all means. But TERF, when people identify themselves as TERF, do you know what that means? Well, I don't think that... People self-identify as a turf. I met a few people who self-identify as turf, really? and I'm glad that they weren't able to make it to the meeting as well. <laughs> That's so interesting. I thought that it was one of those things that people don't personally call themselves, but like their adversaries call them or whatever. Uh, so turf stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. Yeah. So first of all, what is a radical feminist? Well. I think in terms of feminist theory and politics, radical means the root. So radical feminists believe that gender is the root of all oppression. Mm. This is my understanding from my Interesting. studies. So there's different there's different varieties of feminism, um, like Marxist feminism or ecofeminism, um, indigenous feminism. That, that have different kind of stances on what is oppression and where does oppression begin. And radical feminists really start with gender as the first oppression, whereas like a Marxist feminist would say mm. economic class is the first, first oppression, oppression and then gender is added on to that. So radical feminists think gender is the, the core yeah. thing we need to address and that all other oppressions spring from that. That might be one perspective. I'm sure there's many different perspectives of radical feminists. Mm. And then the trans, trans exclusionary basically states that it's they exclude trans from the from their gender positioning on feminism. Mm-hmm. And there's a term that's called biological essentialism, Whoa. which yeah, that's a big big gender studies <laughs> bomb dropping. Say that one more time. Biological essentialism. Ooh. So that term is used to describe how people can be reduced to their biology or like essentialized into saying, you know, we are biologically this way, and therefore all of these things. Uh, so a lot of trans-exclusionary radical feminists hold this idea that there is a quality to being a woman that stems from essentially having a uterus, a vagina, ovaries, and that those things are immutable. And um, I have a problem with that personally i think that yeah it does essentialize people and i think that we're more than our bodies we're also our experiences and our experiences of ourselves and people can't really tell us what our experiences of ourselves based on what we look like in my opinion interesting i also think 
the just going back to the woman born woman terminology yeah, yeah. um and people saying well that's not discriminatory that discriminatory that's just a statement of fact but if you were trying to set up a group that was for canadian born canadians we would say that's discrimination because in this country you're not allowed to discriminate on people against people based on their immigration status. So if you wanted to set up a center that was only for Canadian-born Canadians, that would be illegal. Yeah. Wow, that's a really good point. Definitely. What other kind of things um, came up in the in the Women's Center meeting that issues and questions that people may have had that kind of were, I don't know, red flags or s- things that stuck in your mind? Well, there was a lot about just the stability of the center. And I think a lot of undercurrents of people being concerned about where the center has been putting its energy and where it's going in the future. And yeah, I think a lot of the people are really, that's what we can get together on that's the issue that kind of brings people together is that we want a thriving center Mm. um and maybe we have different visions for what that looks like and different dreams and you know i think it's such a vibrant community space it has the capacity to be a lot of things and yeah i hope that we can vision together and dream bigger and not smaller um because there's so much power in being united. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Oh, I just wanted to bring something up. There was also um, one of the speakers expressed um, like a fear of not being safe, I guess, if the center was more inclusionary. Um, and then it was also brought up that, like, why can't we be safe together? Like, And that was just, like, that was really moving. Mm-hmm. Mm. Can I read a quote from my journal? Yeah, please do. <laughs> okay. This is just something that really inspires me through, uh, throughout all of this. I've been reading a lot of Adrienne Marie Brown's work, who's one of my favorite uh, writers and organizers in the world right now and she wrote a book that's called emergent strategy so i keep coming back to it and um emergent strategy is a lot of things but it's basically social justice organizing that takes inspiration from nature and how natural systems work Mm. and uses a lot of nature metaphors to talk about how we can grow sustainable communities and have sustainable social justice movements that don't necessarily leave people isolated and feeling burnt out. Um, yeah. So one of the principles of emergent strategy is adaptation and, uh, yeah, the, I keep coming back to this quote. So it starts, many of us respond to change with fear or see it as a crisis. Often, this is because we aren't clear or committed about our dream destination. So instead of moving towards anything in particular, we are in nonstop reaction. The first question to ask ourselves is how do we practice increasing our ease with what is? Change happens. Change is definitely going to happen, no matter what we plan or expect or hope for or set in place. We will adapt to that change or we will become irrelevant. 
I'm talking about the combination of adaptation with intention, wherein the orientation and movement towards life, towards longing, is made graceful in the act of adaptation. This is the process of changing while staying in touch with our deeper purpose and longing. Mm-hmm. I just find that really hopeful. Mm-hmm. Just that idea that we can change but still have intention and we can change and still be true to who we are. But the change is inevitable and we can't stop it. And having a goal and having a goal and working towards that goal really kind of gets you out of that cycle of reactionary reactionary action. Yeah. So we've got a song for you. On that note, one of the most powerful musicians in Canada. Let's tune in to Buffy St. Marie. This is Starwalker. Welcome back to Query with Abs, Axel, Bria, and Shaz. So we got over some of the heavier stuff already. Now let's turn into something light. I know for those listeners who've been listening from the beginning, you know, you know who you are. You're always excited about our Tinder talks. So this week we're going to bring them back. How's your Tinder talks going there, Bria? Uh, well, you know how I feel about Tinder. I'm a lifelong fan. Um, but I, I'm taking a bit of a hiatus right now. I think I'm just like waiting for the Aussies to come back. I think I mentioned that last week. Oh, yeah. The Aussies are coming. The Aussies are coming. (laughs) Ski season. It's getting cold out here. Yeah. And we need some Aussies to warm us up. So, no, no uh, updates on your on your love life there, Miss Action. I don't know. Um, I'm gonna completely uh, avoid that topic in general and uh, ask you the same thing. What's going on in your? Uh- Ooh, well, I, I I have a funny little date story, kind of date. I don't know, pickup story. <laughs> Who knows? Cutie. Uh, so I was at last week. I was uh, at the back roads because it's like my living room, and. Um, and I'm just sitting there chatting with people and I was chatting with this uh, snowboarder and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I have a friend over here who I want you to meet. Uh, and then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you guys will go really well together. And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, um, do you know what gender I like? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, guys, of course. I'm like, oh, <laughs> is it that obvious? <laughs> So then he's like, okay, but don't look right now, but they're over there wearing a hat and a, and a red jacket. And I looked over and they had their back toward, towards me. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I pretended to go to the bathroom and walk by and check them out and then come back and sit down and we ordered another beer. And he's like, no, come on, let's go meet, meet them. And we go and sit down at the long table. The funny part of the story is, is that I'm looking over at this guy and then doesn't show any interest or whatnot. And then he gets up and he leaves with two girls. And then I was like, oh, I guess he wasn't interested. And then I kept on chatting with the Maybe rest of the Maybe just a shy guy. Shy guy, shy guy. No, it gets better. And then, <laughs> and then I hear, I hear my friend beside me, uh, turns to the guy across from, uh, us and he's like, so tell me about your coming out story. And then I was like, ding, ding, ding. It was the wrong person. Oh. <laughs> 
What? I know. I was told. <laughs> Were there two people wearing red hats or something? Yeah, red jackets. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until <laughs> after. So, yeah, needless to say, my attention then got switched. And I was like, okay, this makes more sense. Interesting that that's like the first question that you pull out. I didn't pull it out. I know, but like for that person who did. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question, right? How do you like, and I think one of our first episodes, we talked about our, all of our coming out processes. Did we not? Kind of. I vaguely remember. I, yeah, we talked about the idea of coming out Ah. and potential problems with just focusing on that, I think. Ah, Interesting. But I think with, within the queer community, um, that's, uh, it used to be an important question. I don't know if it still is. I would never just go up to someone and be like, so tell me your uh, coming up story, Rando. I would not do that. Well, but that's just me. I guess I'm a little more reserved. Reserved like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've asked people their coming out story. Because it is, especially I think for gay men, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to come to terms with, with your own sexuality. Um, especially if you're gay. And so that coming to terms, the story about your coming to terms really tells a lot about uh, who you are and your history. So, yeah, needless to say. In my head, all I'm thinking is like, oh, I'm a homo. When? Just like as a, as a, oh, oh fuck, I forget what I'm talking about. Never mind. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Or you just think about or that just, all the time. Oh, I'm a homo. Oh, I'm a homo. Yeah, like as I sit there. Anyway, no, but as as a like coming to term thing, that's like what is like going on in my head. Oh. Because oh. I came out I came out to myself when I was about 15, and that was like, that was a vivid coming to terms. Um, oh, I'm a homo memory. <laughs> so, yeah. How about you, Axel? How's your love life? Oh, my love life. Oh, not life. love life. Tinder life. My Tinder life doesn't exist. Uh, I haven't had Tinder um, for about 10 months now. Well, okay, then how's your love life? Because um, if you are, are a longtime listener, which I hope all of you are, you would have heard her one hour, their one hour date night that they had a few weeks ago. What? I don't even know what you're talking about. And I sit right next to the actual. No, though, when we, when we had an our argument and we were <laughs> off the air for a week. Oh, and then a- Axel had to oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just brought my boy toy on the air. <laughs> yeah, and interviewed them for like an hour. It was great. Uh, yeah, Shaz's feedback was that it sounded like we were on a first date and this was our radio interview. Um, yeah, <laughs> listeners, we weren't completely honest. We didn't. We, Jason and I talked about that. We were like, do we need to like come out on the airs and being in a relationship? And like, there were certain topics that we talked about where I felt like, oh, this would almost be like, applicable because we were talking a lot about identity and visibility and and I was thinking a lot about as a bisexual queer femme person being in a relationship with someone who's perceived as a man and like the implications of that on me and how people might like erase my queerness because of who I'm in a relationship with and so we didn't we pre-talked about that and talked about talking about that, but then we didn't end up actually talking about it. So we kept it on the down low the uh, as a secret for the listeners who know more details about Jason's context. But maybe it was obvious, listeners, if you were like, is there some chemistry between these two people? And <laughs> there like, was. Please let us know. And that, well, and that, that's an interesting thing that you just brought up too, is that especially when you're in a visible 
um, well, looks like visible heteronormative couple. How does that, how does society and culture erase your queerness in, in all of those little ways? So that's a super, another interesting topic. That but it's also, yeah, I mean, yeah, it feels difficult in some ways of being like, oh, people are like perceiving us as a straight couple and like we're super queer, but also is useful in certain contexts. Ah. Like, a couple months ago, we were, like, crossing the border and, like, having a border guard perceive you as a straight couple, I feel, is just easier yeah. because you never know, like, when you're going to the States, like, what you're going to interact with. And so I guess being able to, like, pass in that way can be strategically useful. When you were crossing the border, did they ask you any, like, kind of questions about oh your relationship? Oh, my God. It was when we were coming back to Canada. This is actually hilarious. Um, we were coming back to Canada, and the border guard asked what our relationship was. Ooh. And this was kind of, like, early in our relationship, and we didn't really, like, have <laughs> necessarily ah, these words. Ah. And so Jason replies. I'm just, like, kind of sitting there smirking. And Jason was like, quote, Oh yeah, um, we're friends. We're dating. It's chill. <laughs> to the border guard, and the border guard kind of was just like, "Okay, I don't care. <laughs> you haven't figured out your relationship clearly." Oh my god, that's funny. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. I still tease Jason about that. I totally pictured Jason. It's we're friends. We're dating. It's, it's chill. chill. It's chill. It's chill. Yeah. Nice. Well, there we go. Those are our relationships in a nutshell. Oh, uh, so I think last week you uh, brought up uh, there was a pride meeting um, happening. Um, I got my weeks mixed up, so there was no pride meeting last week. Oops, but if you came to the Touchstones Art Gallery, you would have seen a pop-up art exhibit done by Michael, who uh, who's like the queer historian in the area. So he's collected lots of literature and... Um, magazines and he's putting together a queer archive or has put together a queer archive about the history of the queer community both in the Kootenays and in BC and Canada and it was super neat to see that and that's just at Touchstone it was it was it was during the fake pride meeting that I thought we had I put it into my my phone wrong oops oh I'm sorry I missed that that's okay he does it he'll be doing it a few more times I think because it's it was well received within the community and if you ever get a chance to go to it, you should, because it really, like, I think this last one he focused on um, on how the HIV and AIDS epidemic was, was kind of put forward and how it was for the first few months to a year, they were like, oh, this isn't really happening, it's fake news. And then it became a real subject and how they went from, like, denying it to trying to, like, actively um, educate people about it and all the different ways they educated people about it, too. So it was super neat. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But I was also looking on Facebook, and there's um, there's going to be a like a winter pride festival in at Red Mountain at the beginning of January. I think the second to the sixth. Well, that's fun. Winter pride. Yeah. Round two. So <laughs> we all better be going road trip. Let's let's get a little queer bus. Apparently, a few years a few years ago. A little, little while ago, they attempted to do a, a pride celebration up at uh, Roslyn, and they shipped in a bunch. This is what somebody wrote on my Facebook. They shipped in a bunch of uh, gays from Vancouver, and the, 
their bus got spray painted with profanity. Oh my god! Go home, fags. I think is what it said. But you know, go on our Facebook page and let us know what actually happened if you were there or if you heard about it. Oh my gosh! I know. Hey, there's another queer event happening on December nineteenth, which happens every month at Torchlight Brewing. That's Ooh. queers for beers or beers for queers. I never know which order to put those things in. So, yeah, that's a ongoing queer event that uh, I know some people who are trying to, like, make it happen more. Make it happen. So. I remember when I first moved here, I ran into you at one of my first beers for careers. I think Me too, was, actually. That we ran into each other? No, I ran into Axel. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So if you want to come see us, come out on Thursday. I think that was the same, that was the same night. Was it? And we didn't know whoa, each other. That we were at like a whoa, big, whoa, whoa. A, a really long table. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really at the awesome. other side of the table. Bria was also there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The first meeting Seren- of the query host. <laughs> we didn't like, even know. Yeah. All right. Shall we listen to this song? Oh, so this next song is also one of my favorites. Uh, it's by Stan Rogers. It's called The Northwest Passage. It's a song about uh, traveling the very northern part of Canada. And it's, um, and I used to, uh, when I lived in Quebec and I taught English in a French school, I'd make all of the kids like stand up and sing it together. So if you're driving, turn the music up and, you know, belt it out as loud as you can. And make a northwest passage to the sea. Interesting choice of song there, Shaz. Yeah, you, you know, thanks for thanks for you know keeping keeping it real there, Axel. Sometimes it's hard having the lenses we have. You know that? Cause yeah, you, you can't enjoy colonial propaganda. Not at all. And well, now that's uh, while we were listening to the song, we kind of um, deconstructed the song a little bit, and now it's not one of my favorite songs anymore. Thanks. Last play on query. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so one of the biggest things is that whole idea of the the subtlety of colonialism and how it kind of plays out in this song. Um, and the simplest example that you pointed out: should we talk about savage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the use of that word in a context of referring to land and referring to indigenous peoples yeah. and taking over and kind of and yeah and and taming that that land. That whole idea, right? Yeah, that being used as a justification for uh, the white savior to come in and civilize. Speaking of, um, I went a few weeks ago at um, the cathedral up here. There was a, a film about, what was that? The Pope put out a, um, a papal bull that states stated that Oh, when colonial the the root of colonialism when uh, what's his when Christopher Columbus Col- yeah what was that what was the divine oh the proclamation yeah the royal proclamation what was it called the I think it was called the royal proclamation was it okay <laughs> <laughs> not totally sure but I'm pretty sure yeah so it kind of kind of like the subtleties of how that plays out as well too it can even be felt in the song. So enough of that heavy talk. Yeah, let's take a swift, direct turn towards some unskilled advice. We haven't had this segment in many weeks. I'm really excited that the people want our advice again. We had a listener write in. 
Nice. Here, I'll uh, I'll just pull up this message here. Dear Query, I think I need to break up with someone I'm seeing. They're great, but I'm just not feeling it. Can you break up with them on the air for me? Um, well... Um, Who wrote that? It, it's signed, Love Isn't the Only Answer. Oh, li- Litola. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, well, um, short answer is no. Oh, wow. I would break gonna... up with someone for you on <laughs> okay. the air. You, do you want to be broken up with on the radio? Um, it's better what than text. What if someone was calling to break up with you? Ooh, I would be okay with breaking up on the radio as long as I can hear someone's voice when they break up with me. I think I'm going to veto that. Ooh. Rule number one, break up in person. Ooh, yeah. Well, you, you, they can be invited down to the studio and then we can record them breaking <laughs> up with each other. Like on the, interview style? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Tell me five ways you do not like me. Oh my gosh, this reminds me of a show, a reality TV show that is from the United Kingdom and they it's called first dates and they get two people to like go on a date with each other and they film it. And then at the end of the date, they get them into like a room in the studio and they have to say if they want to go on another date with each other. And, uh, it's fascinating just watching the people be like, if they do want to go to go on a date, the kind of hesitation to be the first person to say like, yeah, I'd go on another date with you. Or if they don't want to go on a date, how they tactfully say to that person in front of a camera, like, no, I, you're great, but I wasn't really into it. And yeah, maybe we could be friends or whatever strategies people take up, but that's a pretty chill breakup in terms of having gone on one date. I don't know the context of this. Like it sounds like this person's not, that serious about the person because they're kind of like well it's the person's great but i'm just not feeling it so hopefully that has been figured out kind of early on breakups though it's hard Breakups are very hard it's hard to do it well mm-hmm. yep We've, i've been broken up with it a few times and sometimes it went well so, and we remained friends and sometimes it did not go very well and they were blocked on social media and on my phone and yeah is there things that happened in common with the ones that went wrong? Communication. I think communication was the biggest one. <clears throat> the ones that went wrong were poorly communicated. And what happened was the behaviors. And they started behaving poorly towards me mm-hmm. in hopes that I would break up with them, which is never a good way of breaking up with somebody. People just need to person up and do it, you know? Like, don't treat someone like trash. Exactly. Yeah, it's like very cowardly. Yeah, and if it, if if and and have some like foundational things that may not work between the two of you, like you leave the toilet seat up and I like the toilet seat down. No, 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 that's not foundational. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, we're just we've got two different goals and goals in mind. Mm. Um, we're not communicating. I don't feel that um, the love language aren't compatible with each other. Yeah, I I had to break up with someone once because we just had different ideas of the role that a partner should play in each other's lives. Hmm. So they wanted someone who's kind of going to be like their main person who everything in their life was kind of going to revolve around. And I was like, I like to have lots of main people in my life. Um, and I like to have relationships that are differently valuable and like in different ways in different contexts like i don't just want to have one person that like i put every hope and dream for my entire life on because that feels really 
uh, unstable to me and potentially. And then if that person is not in my life anymore, then like who, what is left of my life? If I put my whole kind of all my eggs in one basket there, I like to kind of have a lot of diverse relationships. And so that was kind of incompatible for us because we wanted different things from each other. And even though we really loved and respected each other, it was like, well, ultimately this isn't going to work. I think you just broke up with me because I want to put all of my eggs in one basket. Well, but you don't want to put all your eggs in my basket. That's the problem. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, well, that's not a problem. Phew, thank goodness. Uh, but if you did start dating someone and then suddenly you didn't have time for our radio show and you didn't want to like hang out with us anymore, that would be oh, a problem. Yeah. And I might have to have a friend yeah. talk with you to be like, hey, Shaz, just want to check in because I never see you anymore. And I'm really glad that you have love in your life, but I miss you. Yeah. And we have a radio show to do once a week. How about you? How tell me about a breakup um, experience that you've had? Um, well, I, what I was thinking is that um, something that is important to me is that, um, like, the actions match the words. Like, if you're saying, like, if you're saying you want something, but like your a- actions don't like match that, it's like hard to be it's hard to be with someone that's like that so just i guess like i guess that is something to do with like being genuine and like being honest like with yourself and your partner and if you can't do that that's not good Mm -hmm. tell me do you have any creative ways of breaking up with someone is there creative ways of breaking up with someone? Creative ways. Yeah. Like spelling it out with Scrabble tiles. Ooh, leaving it on the yeah, leaving it on the the dining room, the kitchen counter. I don't want to see you anymore. Fifty points. <laughs> or like a big banner or something, like you know, when you're doing the like the whole like um banner behind a plane or something like that it's not working (laughs) it's you and not me it's me and not you i think it really depends like do you want to continue having the person in your life i I, and i think there's different perspectives on whether that's possible depending on the relationship and like the how long the relationship has been going on but when you break up with someone are you breaking up with them in a like total life way it's like where you're kind of just you don't want to be involved at all with them on any level at any point in the future or are you breaking up with them in a romantic or sexual way where you're like I don't think this part of our relationship is working but I would like to be friends and that whole question of like can we be friends and for me I think the person initiating the breakup has a lot of responsibility in there mm-hmm. to be transparent and honest about their intentions and like not just saying yeah we should be friends because you feel bad about it and you're kind of like yeah. wanting to soften it and just when if you don't mean it like if you don't want to actually be friends with the person then maybe just leave it at that and don't give the person false expectations for what your relationship may be in the future or yeah, or like, oh, um, let's just be friends, and then ten minutes later, go do it in the bathroom, right? Mm. So you have to like, as the person breaking up, no one hold true to that, even though there are still those feelings, that sexual or, or emotional feelings that still might be there, but you know that it may not like go further. And then I feel like there's the added small town queer scene breakup issue of like you're still going to maybe see this person and how do you navigate space and how do you maintain the sanctity of the breakup if you're going to continue running into each other 
and potentially having the same friends. Like, oh gosh, it's a lot. Yeah. I love the... I love how awkward the first like few weeks to months are after a breakup too. If you run into someone on the uh, on the street or in a social setting, especially in a small town, because you're like you're like awkward about what to say to them, whether to give them attention or not, and all of that stuff. It's it's yeah. Well, I think we got to break up with this episode now. Oh no! It's expiring <laughs> on us. <sighs> but uh, it's only a temporary breakup. We'll be back next week. <laughs> With more unskilled advice. Thanks for listening to Query tonight. It's been a pleasure to have you. And uh, yeah, we hope you have many sweet dreams. Yeah, hit it, DJ. Yeah, we're going to finish with a song by a band I used to listen to in my youth called the O'Wells. They are from White Rock, BC. And uh, they no longer exist because they had a band breakup, which is tragic. And the song is about a breakup. Uh, So So please enjoy. This (laughs) is called Closure. Rolling on cause I'm inspired Not by the look in your eyes But by the look in mine It's a look I've been looking